0: On today's episode of Her Wild Outdoors, Ashley Chance is joining me. She's a fellow Tennessean, but she is the Southeast Regional Coordinator for Artemis. And that's through the National Wildlife Federation. Uh, We're going to talk a little bit about who she is, and how the outdoors has made such an impact on her life. We're also going to talk about Artemis and what the goal of the program is. It's not recruitment, it's retainment. And that's an important conversation to have right now, especially in the female community of hunters. So listen in, enjoy, and let's support this group of women. Thank you all for joining in for another episode of Her Wild Outdoors. Today, I have the honor of having Ashley Chance with us. She is the Southeast Regional Coordinator for Artemis. And Ashley, correct me if I'm wrong, that's through the National Wildlife Federation or is it totally separate? Nope, you're right. It's through the National Wildlife Federation. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you for joining me. Yeah, my pleasure. Happy to be here. Yeah. We're both um, hailing from Tennessee, but Ashley is not originally from Tennessee. Tell us just a little bit about how you got to where you are today. Oh, yeah. It's um, it's kind of a long story. Mm-hmm. Um, I grew
1: up in Minnesota. So um grew up on a farm hunting with my dad and uncles, primarily deer hunting. And then... Um, as time went on, I kind of branched into some other things, some waterfowl and upland hunting. Um and then i I went to college in Wisconsin um to study wildlife ecology, got my bachelor's degree there, and throughout that time, I was traveling, especially in the summers and right after I graduated, I was traveling around the u s working on different wildlife research projects um, as a technician. so and at that stage in the game, your job is really fun and really physically demanding. You're pretty mm-hmm. much just catching animals. Yeah. Um, yeah. So <laughs> it was it was great. I got to see a lot of really cool places. And um, most of my work focused on deer, uh, white-tailed deer and mule deer. So um, following that, I, needed, I knew I needed to go to grad school, but I needed a little bit of a break. So um, I was in the Peace Corps for two years in Ghana, um, which is in West Africa. And then I came back, moved to Mississippi to go to graduate school studying deer again. Mm-hmm. Um, met my now husband, who's also a wildlife biologist, and uh, moved back here to East Tennessee.
0: I'm I'm good with that. I'm glad that you're here. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes, I'm happy to be here too. I'm happy to, really happy to be in this position and be a part of the Artemis program.
0: Awesome, for sure. Yeah. Now, f- what most people think so. Within states, when you are from a different state, and you've traveled around a lot, but when you're from a different state looking into a state that you haven't been to, like, let's look at Texas, how big Texas is. And I've talked to a couple of people on this podcast from different parts of Texas, and the landscape is 100% different depending on where you are, right? It is sure. its own country over there. It has anything from coastal, Floridian, Gulf Coast living all the way to desert. And, and I think that when people think of Tennessee, they think – farms and country bumpkins and things like that. Whereas the east side of Tennessee is very mountainous and very different from the flatlands of West Tennessee, which is on that Mississippi uh, riverbed. And so it's, it's crazy how different regulations or that regulations are different throughout the state. Like I can hunt way different Than you can where you are, and we're just a couple hours from each other.
1: Yeah, absolutely. That is really interesting. And, you know, Tennessee is one of the, if not the most diverse landlocked state in the Uh US. Yeah. Um, So (laughs) so it's got a lot going for it for sure that way. Yeah. Um, But yeah, it's funny to see, you know, especially when you talk about game species, Mm -hmm. so many things influence populations that um, in a lot of states, managers are able to. I don't want to say micromanage, but, you know, they're able to put kind of a finer point on things. And that,
0: that results in the regs that you and I see when we mm-hmm. go out. Yeah, yeah. I mean, our West Tennessee area, which is battling CWD right now, uh, when I was talking to Doug Duran, I think he said we've got almost 75 deer per square mile. And that's, you know, <laughs> spread out over that area, but that is kind of the average. And yet you go to East Tennessee and you have very strict regulations in comparison to the rest of us on what you can harvest deer wise. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And
1: it makes for a really different hunting experience too. I think, you know, one of the things about being in the mountains, especially the Appalachians, which are they're old, they're tired, right? yeah. they're eroding currently. <laughs> um, so the soils are pretty thin and pretty poor here nutrient-wise. There's not a lot of food-based mm-hmm. herbivores and everything on up the chain. So certainly fewer deer here and um, probably a little bit smaller than yeah. what are in West Tennessee.
0: Yeah. we've I've had friends that we talk to consistently, especially during hunting season and they're in East Tennessee. And he is just dumbfounded at the size of deer that we get over here versus over there. And we've talked about genetics. We've talked about um, past management plans that Tennessee has had that we have changed since then. Um, I think we used to be able to hunt does like crazy. Or no, we used to hunt bucks like crazy, but we couldn't hunt does and realized quickly that. That was not the solution. And you've got, you know, genetics of young deer being passed through instead of old deer. There's just a lot of discussion going between hunters of, wait, hold on. You can take four deer in a day. (laughs) And we're going, yeah, we could. We actually could take four deer in a day if the opportunity arose. I've never Mm -hmm. had that happen, of course, but I'm sure some have. And so it's just when you're looking, and I think we talked a little bit about this when we were chatting last week, but when you're looking at hunting in a state you need to make sure that you're not just looking at state regs you're looking at region regs you're looking at specific what land what property that you are hunting <laughs> you need to absolutely look into the details of that specific waypoint right <laughs> I'm I'm telling you this is
1: something that's frustrating even for the people who create, who write yeah. books. Yeah. They know that they're not easy to parse through, but as a hunter, you need to read that puppy cover to cover. Because <laughs> <It's true. laughs> that's just the only way. I mean, it's confusing. And in in some states, if you've been hunting for a long time, you kind of know the lay of the land and you can just kind of watch for annual changes, I guess. Mm-hmm. But certainly if you're new to hunting or if you're new to hunting in a particular state, Or if you're going to try a different part of the state, like you're saying, you just got to cover all your bases because there's a lot of nuance or there can be at least.
0: Yeah. If I travel two hours east, I would need to sit down and go over it with a fine tooth comb just to make sure that I'm doing exactly what I need to be doing. But yeah, that that just when we talk about Tennessee and talking to a fellow Tennessee person, it it does blow my mind. How difficult it can be to come through these things, but how simple a phone call would be to clear it all up. So right? Don't be That's afraid true. to call people um, that are in your, your wildlife agencies, your state wildlife agencies to check up and check in and cover your butt. Absolutely. Yep. <laughs> yeah. they, I guarantee you they would
1: love to hear from you. They like it when people are trying to do what they should be doing. So Agreed.
0: Agreed. Well, tell me just a little bit. I'm going to take us back some. tell Tell me just a little bit. Some of your favorite hunts. I know that you Um, job wise and biology wise and all of this whitetail is kind of your thing, but what is your favorite, um, hunt that you absolutely would never pass up that you've done before? Um, Well,
1: there's a couple of them. So I would say when I was in high school, so from the time I was 14 ish to 18 years old, um, my family would go elk hunting in Colorado every year. And that was far and away like foundational experiences for me for career mm-hmm. and for hunting and everything but that was incredible and I would love to get back out um and do some some elk hunting in the Rockies again. Mm-hmm. Um I don't know when that'll happen but I'd love to do that. I think aside from that white tails are honestly not my passion for hunting. Mm-hmm. Um, hunts that I love to be on are duck hunts. And um, upland hunts, like where I'm from, we have a lot of pheasants. Um, actually, a couple Christmases ago, my husband was there with me. We were back visiting family. We have a at that time he was really young, a Springer Spaniel, and we were all packed up. We were ready to go. It was like nine in the morning. We were going to leave and head over to Wisconsin to visit some other friends. And a rooster ran across the driveway as we were loading things in the trunk of our car. <laughs> And so we're like, Oh, we got to go after him. So we went and got our gear and that ended up being our dog's first rooster that he was able to, yeah, (laughs) he did a great job. So I love upland hunting. I love bird hunting in general. Mm -hmm. I don't get to do a lot of it here, unfortunately. Um, but I think it's a lot
0: of fun. Yeah. You and I actually did not know this when we were having a conversation, but, uh, you are going to be hunting this week, right? Um the same place I'll be hunting in 2 weeks in re- at Real Fit Lake.
1: Yes, yeah, I'm super excited. I've never been. Um so we're going to be hunting Thursday, Friday, Saturday.
0: That'll be a great hunt. We I had a blast last year. Just the the environment, the beauty of it, the uh, there are bald eagles everywhere. And I think that there's just so much to keep you bu- busy, even if the ducks aren't coming in that um, we hunted last year, late, late season. So there the ducks were few and far between, but it was still just magnificent. So I can't wait to hear about your hunt. I hope that um, you come back with lots of duck and stories. <laughs>
1: yeah, I'm really excited. I think
0: it's, it's, we're
1: not really near peak migration yet. So I'm sure we're not expecting to harvest a ton of ducks, Mm -hmm. but I think just getting out and seeing a different landscape, like you were saying, it's going to look a lot different. Mm -hmm. And um, to see like cypress trees and stuff that when we lived in Mississippi, we got to hunt in that kind of environment quite a bit. And it's beautiful. It is beautiful. I'm bringing my camera too.
0: (laughs) Good for you. Yeah. I'm bringing mine too. I, I didn't have it last year and I really wish I had that. The fog on the water is just gorgeous, but I love looking out for the eagles and um, and all of the wildlife there. So I hope you have a great trip. I'm looking forward to ours, and uh, and it's just a different way of hunting in your state, right? It's just a for different sure. environment, a different landscape, and and seeing all that Tennessee has to offer is pretty cool. So. Have fun. Yeah. Have a whole lot of fun. I am a whitetail hunter predominantly, but I have really enjoyed jumping into waterfowl. So um I get that side of it that you're talking about. There's a there's a camaraderie to it that I absolutely love. Yes.
1: yes. That that's one of the things that I love right away. So when we started duck hunting, We were poor graduate students, so Mm -hmm. we didn't have a lot of equipment. It was really scrappy. We just had to kind of find, and we didn't know a lot either. Um, So we were just kind of flying by the seat of our pants, getting lucky occasionally. Um, But as time has gone on, we've invested a little bit more. And I just love going out in a boat and being all set up. The dog's there. I love hunting with our dog. Mm -hmm. And we've got like a little... Coleman stove, so we have hot coffee. I've made like egg sandwiches before, oh, yeah. and at any at any moment, ducks could fly over, and it's just I don't know. It's so fun. It's such a fun combination
0: of like hanging out with your friends, and then there's animals there. Right. Oh yeah, it's the perfect combo. Um, you said earlier that you grew up with your family hunting. Um, I grew up with people around me who hunted, but I didn't know a whole lot of women who hunted. Was it kind of the same for you? Was it predominantly male or were there a few women sparsely inlaid in that community? No, I wish
1: there had been, mm-hmm. but there were no women hunters, not even any other girls, like none of my cousins or anything. Um my female cousins were involved in hunting. So I was certainly the anomaly that way. Um, and I always wanted to have a female hunting mentor, but never found one. I never was able to, um, there was one woman that would come, she came on at least a few of the elk hunts, um, out West, but she was from California and came, was quite a bit older than me at that time. Um, and she was nice, but that was my only interactions with her, you know, were really briefly on those hunts. So I never had a woman who I felt like I could really connect with and
0: go to those questions or anything about hunting. Yeah. I think that that has been, I would say from the generation of those, I would almost say 25 and older. That's the story that you hear. I think mm-hmm. that once you start visiting a little bit younger generations, I think we are excitedly seeing that conversation change a little bit. And I love it. I can't wait for 20 years down the road when that conversation is completely different because of all of the women who are getting involved now. Yeah, that's my goal. I mean, that's the whole goal of Artemis program. Mm -hmm. So I feel really, really
1: blessed to have a job where this thing that I was lacking in my personal life, I now get to work to give to other people. Exactly. Um, So hopefully I can do a good job and get that ball rolling. But yeah, that's, that's the whole idea is to have, have women be a part of the conversation and be able to connect with one another. Yeah.
0: Well, that's a perfect kind of introduction. Let's get right into that because it is what I want to talk about a lot today and learn from. So give us just the beginning of how did, what's the history behind Artemis and uh, what's the goal of it? Because it's not what I think people think it is if they don't know what it is what the basis of? because when I came into it I was thinking one thing and quickly learned that it's a little bit more involved than that so just give us kind of that history of how it got started sure well it
1: got started my supervisor's supervisor um boss's boss at nwf he had kind of this idea that you know there was a way to build community among sportswomen that was, that was different than what had been done before and could actually create kind of this systemic change in the hunting community. So it was kind of his brainchild. And he, being a man knew that he needed some different perspective, um, to, to really do it well. Um, so he recruited a number of women that kind of, well, they were the founders. And if you go to our website, you can look up, who the founders of Artemis are Mm -hmm. and kind of learn a little bit more about them. They're really, really awesome women. Um, so it started in the West and the goal of the program is not to recruit women into hunting. Mm -hmm. Um, because there's so many organizations that do a wonderful job of that, you know, becoming an outdoors woman, the bow program. Um, a lot of state agencies have great initiatives as far as, um, recruiting women and a bunch of other organizations. So we didn't want to reinvent the wheel there. Um, the goal is really to take women who already identify as hunters and anglers. Um, I'm much more of a hunter than I am a fisher woman. So, Mm -hmm. um, that's the focus of my conversation, but hunting and angling to take those women and bring them to higher levels. So get them to where they feel they can independently go out in the field and pursue game, um, or where they could do it with a female counterpart um, that's in their community, and not just with their significant other, who's probably male or some other male mentor figure. Um, yeah. You know, we don't have anything against men. Men are are wonderful, and like I've said, so many of my almost all of my hunting experiences have happened exclusively with men. But there is something um, different about having a female-led community. Um, there's different conversations that happen. There's just it's a different feeling. I think that, you know, for a lot of women, seeing um, seeing a woman in the field that they can identify with, it's it brings you that much closer to feeling like you too can do it. Um, and I'm not talking about Instagram. Influencers. Right. Right. Who, right. Who have sponsors and um apparently all the time in the world it seems to go out and scout and hunt. Um, but just people like you and me, you mm-hmm. know, people that have full-time jobs, have careers and families, and also want to find time to make hunting a part of their life. So it was born in the West and it's been there, it's it's a new program. I think it's coming into its third year. Um, and they have had a lot of success out west. So they created this position that I have now to expand the program to the southeast. And um, it's really exciting. The other part of the program, you know, aside from building a community and connections between sportswomen, is really about conservation and advocacy for wildlife. Yeah. So it's not just building that community, which is important, but also having giving women resources so that they can understand conservation issues and be able to speak on them and hopefully eventually become leaders, you know, whether it be, you know, lobbying politicians, which would be like a real big time or even just going
0: to um, like a a deer management meeting that the state
1: wildlife agency hosts in their state and giving their input there.
0: Right. Now I put uh, a a post out the other day and it was, Um, you know, you're always heard what you, what you go in, come out leaving better than you went in, right? Whether it's public land or private land, uh, pick up trash, make sure that everything's just better than you entered it. And the more that I was sitting there thinking about it, I go, that's great. Every time I walk in on public land, I come out with trash because it's there and it's sad mm-hmm. and I hate that. But what are some of the other things that we can do? Uh, are there ways that we can volunteer and be a part of your wildlife group, um, your wildlife agency in the state and help plant trees in those public lands or help clear places in the public lands? Um, are there are there trash pickup areas or are there um, – Are there events that you can be a part of, but then take it a step further. Are there groups that you can get into as a hunter, as an experienced hunter to teach new hunters, Hey, you don't leave trash. You don't like, how can we get ahead of that instead of just picking up behind it? And I think that, I think there's a fear in Becoming a mentor or becoming somebody that could teach because you don't feel like you know enough. And I think that that's Mm -hmm. like Artemis can be a part of that because, like you said, it's not for recruitment. It's there are great programs out there that do it. There are a lot of groups that do that uh, privately and statewide. And yet there aren't enough retainment groups. And so you see this. Blood of women coming into our community and they go on one hunt and that's mm-hmm. it or they go on two hunts and that's it because they don't know where to go from there they go okay right. well now i know my firearm or now i know my bow or my crossbow now i know that uh, i've been on a hunt that has been um scheduled and and put together for me, but how do I do this on my own? How do I become an independent hunter? And sometimes that, I don't know, sometimes a mentor can be great for that, but sometimes you just need somebody to walk alongside of you. I, walking in on public land, I walk with way more confidence having somebody beside me than alone. And I think that that's only going to build my confidence more is to have somebody beside me. And you and I talked earlier about how, again, you just said, it's not that we don't respect the men in our lives and in our community. That is a totally different thing. This is about learning from somebody that we can relate to. Um yes. And being a part of a community that we relate to just on a different level and it becomes a little bit easier and more laid back and less stressful or maybe even just a little bit more of an easier time asking questions. So um, I was excited when you were explaining this to me because I thought that is that's where we fall off. That's where we, we lose the women in our community is, is after we say, okay, here it is. And yay, you got one deer, or yay, you got one something. And you go home and you go, okay, well, how can I apply that here in my everyday? And that's right, what Artemis yeah. does. That is the goal of Artemis. And
1: I think what you described, especially going out on public land, having somebody else there with you, it doesn't have to be somebody else that knows everything. No. Like you can, it's, you can both be beginners and mm-hmm. go out and learn together, but being, and I don't, maybe you can speak to this, but I know hunting with, it was never like this hunting with my dad. For one, he was an experienced hunter when I was just starting out. So he was very much, um, he was very empowering. He really let me learn and make mistakes and never made me feel like I couldn't do something. Mm-hmm. Um, but hunting with my husband a lot of times and even other significant others in the past, there's a dynamic there where it doesn't matter how many deer I shoot, how many ducks I harvest. My husband will never see me as an equal when it comes to hunting. Mind you, I have a master's degree in how hunting pressure (laughs) influences deer (laughs) movements, but it just doesn't matter. Yeah, Um, And so I feel like and I love my husband dearly and I love hunting with him, but it's a very different environment to be out there with another woman because there's this feeling of equality and a, mm-hmm. an inherent sense of belonging where it's okay to make mistakes. You don't feel like you have to, hopefully you don't feel like you have to make yourself into one of the boys, you know, right. like you don't have to misrepresent yourself
0: to fit in You can right. be your authentic self and be exploring that. And it's okay. Yeah. Well, and when you drop that boundary, when you drop that facade, uh you're able to absorb more in learning wise. When Absolutely. you can let those boundaries down and and totally soak up the environment that you're in and soak up how things are being done and it's uh I don't the equality thing is is really big and it's not Okay, my husband's six two. I'm five two. Uh, we are one hundred percent different physically. He can lift mm-hmm. things. He can do things that I will never be able to do, and that is just physics, right? It's just right. the way that we are physically. If if I was six two and built like him, then maybe we could have some conversation. But it's just not <laughs> going to be. Ever the same. And so having somebody beside me that faces the same challenges, who deals with some of the same questions that I face in a hunting yep. scenario, um, whether they know it or not, we can troubleshoot together and and work through the prob- problem. And I think that that's um, the celebration after even without a harvest, but like figuring something out, the celebration together means a whole lot. So I don't, that's, Absolutely. it's, um, it's almost necessary. It's like I tell him, it is necessary for you to go hunting with your guy friends. We don't necessarily get to hunt a whole lot together, but he needs that time with them because that is, not just hanging out bro time. It is that, but it's also they're learning from each other on a level that they can relate to. So, um, I don't know, we all learn different things from each other. So why not learn from somebody that you can fully relate to?
1: Right. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I have examples from my own life where, gosh, it would have been really nice You have been hunting with a woman because it wouldn't have taken me so long to learn things that the people around me were not experiencing while I was experiencing them. Right. Um, One example is, which is duck hunting. I was shooting a shotgun that I had gotten as a a Christmas present from my high school boyfriend. Um, And I loved the gun because it was mine. It was my first gun that just belonged to me and I was proud of it. I practiced with it a ton and I sucked at shooting that gun. I mean, I could not. <laughs> I had like a couple years where I killed things with it. You know, I'd, I'd gotten some pheasants and I'd, I'd shot a few geese and ducks. But um, one year in graduate school, oh my gosh, I couldn't hit anything. It was terrible. It was the worst dry spell of my whole life. And it was to the point where nobody would even comment on it anymore. Like it was so bad. It was <laughs> oh, <crushing. no. laughs> It was just horrible. And I did everything I could think of. I like mentally tried to envision myself hitting birds. I like strategized. there's this thing you can do with a flashlight that you tape to the end of the barrel and then you shoulder the gun like at night in your house. And just to see if it's, you know, aiming where you think it is with the light and tons of other stuff. I researched, you know, on how how far to lead ducks based on the direction you were coming from and the species. So like how fast they're flying and None of this worked. None of this resulted in any change. And finally, we started hunting with, we, we moved into a different house and our, we started hunting with our new neighbor. He's a really short man. Um, and after watching, after going hunting with us a few times and seeing how badly things were going for me, he mentioned that he really struggled to shoot a conventional shotgun. And so his had what's called a compact stock. So the stock is just a little bit shorter. Mm-hmm. And you let me shoulder the gun. And I was like, Oh my gosh, like, I don't have to contort myself to see right. down the barrel of this gun. Like it fits me. And I went out and bought the same gun and have just been slaying ever since because it's a, it's equipment that fits me. And like this right. whole time, my husband was, you know, like just, it's just mental. Like you just got to push through it. You just got to push through it. And I have always kind of had the attitude of like toughing out tough situations. You know, like I never wanted to seem like a girl, whatever the heck that means. Yeah. Um, And so that was just a revelation to me to realize that this actually was not my fault. Like this actually was not a me problem. Right. It was a
0: situational issue that no one around me could give me any guidance on because they'd never experienced it. Yeah. And it goes back to I could sit here and tell you, hey, this gun works for me, but if I'm four or five inches shorter than you and have a different wingspan <laughs> between my mm-hmm. reach, then it might not work for you. And right. so having, I had a shotgun passed down to me by my husband that I used for duck hunting last year, and it, I kind of the same thing. I couldn't get up and over it. Um, yep. It was very heavy. It was cumbersome. It just had a couple of things against it that, yes, I, I shot something. It happened. But I think that, honestly, it probably ended up being dumb luck. And mm-hmm. I think that now having a shotgun that I can get up and over and around, that I can maneuver quickly, especially when you're, you're dealing with waterfowl or upland birds, I think that I'll have a better shot at being... Purposeful, instead of yep. hopeful, right? <laughs> right. Yes, that's such a good way to put it. Absolutely. <laughs> I want to be purposeful in my hunting. I want to. Um, I, I think that that goes straight along the lines of being ethical and mm-hmm. safe, and um, and so that is always the goal. The goal for me from day one was to be independent. Day That's one amazing. to be independent. And it took a long time to figure it out.
1: Yeah. And it takes, you know, it just, it takes longer when you're doing it on your own. Like yeah. it's better to be connected to people who are thinking or at least trying to do the same thing that you're trying to do because you can learn twice as fast.
0: Oh yeah. It took five years for me hunting solo to figure out that. And this is crazy to figure out that the way that I was gutting a deer um, was the way that somebody else was doing it. And it was not working for me. Took five years, five years. <laughs> <laughs> because we get that's, that's the whole thing that we get into this mindset of like, this is how you do it when mm-hmm. literally there's a hundred ways to skin a cat. Like there's a reason yes. that thing exists, you know? Yeah. And I think that the thing that my mindset this whole time has been, well, I can do it just like you. Right. And that was looking at the men in my life who were hunting. I can do it just like you. I can, I just let me do it. I can do it just like you. And the fact of the matter is, I needed to do it just like me. Right. And the outcome would be the same. I can hunt. I can produce, I can harvest, but Dad Gemma is not going to look like you. It's going to look like how I do it. Yeah, that that's the thing, you know, trying to compare yourself to
1: someone who has very potentially different physical capabilities or even just has come into the hunting arena in a very different culture and with very different expectations around what they can do. You're setting yourself up for heartbreak mm-hmm. and to some degree failure a lot of times and frustration. Yeah, and frustration. Just you know, gosh, I would hope that that wouldn't stop anybody from going back in the field, but I'm sure that it has. Yeah, and that's a travesty when. Like you said, you can look a lot
0: different and be just as effective or more effective, I would argue, in some cases. Yeah. And I mean, we can apply this to the whole hunting community. We're applying it right now as women, but each man is built differently as well. And each woman is built differently. And so across the board, that should be a note that we all take with us is, we shouldn't be saying I can hunt just like you. You should be saying I can hunt just like me. And I yes, can I'm, figure out how to do that better by hunting that people with people that I can relate to. So. Absolutely. Yeah. And I would take that a step farther and say that not
1: only can I hunt just like me, but I can advocate to.
0: Yes. Just like
1: me, because that's the thing, like the hunting community today and and for a long time, has looked a very specific way, right? Like it's mostly, especially now, older white men. Like that's mostly, that's the archetype of hunter across the U.S. predominantly. And the thing is, first and foremost, they're aging out. Like some of the, a lot of them are leaving. And so hunter numbers are declining. And the way that wildlife management is funded in North America is through the sale of hunting and fishing licenses. Right. So we are in a crisis right now as far as being able to conserve and manage our wildlife resource when hunters are vanishing. So it's first and foremost, a numbers game. We need to get more people involved just to be able to support the resource. But beyond that, it's a very, um, it's a very narrow perspective on wildlife management and conservation advocacy. And so another you know, one of the big goals of Artemis is to create a community that is very inclusive. Mm-hmm. So we want to see women, certainly, but all different kinds of women. We want all ages, ethnicities, um, you know, sexual orientation, any of that. We just want—we want everybody because all of those perspectives are just going to make things better for wildlife. Yes, and it's going to make you know the community more available to more people, which across the board is just going to be better. So. I think, like you said, regardless of whether you're a woman or not, um, even if you don't fit that archetype, even if you didn't grow up, you know, hunting alongside your dad and kind of had this, um, this tradition handed to you,
0: we still want you, right. we still want you to be a part. You still have a lot to contribute. Yeah. I think that we talked last week about how, um, How, like you were just saying, that baby boomer generation uh, and Mm -hmm. before, like whatever that generation entails is we're losing those hunters, whether they are – um, passing away, or they just can't get out there like they used to. We're losing yep. that generation i'm I'm sad to say that I think that our generation in the middle is going to be kind of light unless we are recruiting more people in and bringing more people in and maintaining them, that retainment of those hunters. I think that this generation is going to be a little light, and I think it's going to be a learning lesson to how you can't just fly by the seat of your pants as a hunting community. We constantly have to be working for it. And so hopefully in the generation behind us, uh, hopefully what we are doing now is going to build that back up. So I, I, in my non, um, Like expert (laughs) thought process when I have seen this and when I have experienced it as a woman and seeing the numbers and that kind of thing, I think that we are going to have a little bit of a lull in numbers and for a little bit. And we're going to have to really work hard Right now, not in five years, not in ten years when that happens, but right now, so that we don't lose that funding. So we don't lose that financial support and community support of hunters. So it'll be yeah. It'll be interesting to see. It'll be interesting to follow. Um, but hopefully, because we're getting women involved, you're going to see more families involved. So that's, that is the
1: ultimate.
0: Yeah, it's That's huge. Goal. Yeah, it is huge. It is. Um, we had a hunter in the family, my husband, and the second that I got involved and in, he will sit to this day, he will sit down and say this to your face. We would not be where we are as a family hunting. If I had not started hunting He said it probably would have eventually happened, bringing the kids in and asking them. But without the example of me being in there as well, then it might not have been as much of a deal for my daughter to get involved. Or it might not have been this family thing that we do together. So you see how much of an impact to our community having women there is. Well, and one of the, one of the really interesting things too, is like you said, you know, we kind of waiting
1: on that next generation, but honestly, the thing is hunting families and really hunting women, because it's like you said, women have a disproportionate impact on Mm -hmm. family recreation, right? Like it's, it's a lot of times, mom, wives who are saying, this is what we're going to do for vacation. Or like, this is going to be what we do fun time with the kids. And so if you have, Uh, a woman in that family who is passionate about hunting, cares about it, has an ethic to pass on to those kids. And it's like, it's just this beautiful thing, especially because if you have a hunting family, you have a support system. Like right now I'm pregnant and my husband and I are already talking about how small do they make earmuffs?
0: <laughs> very small, <laughs> how, very, very, how very small.
1: <laughs> small. <laughs> how soon can we get this
0: baby in the field with us, right?
1: And it's too, it's too faceted. It's one, we don't want to give up our ability to be in the field, but two, this is something that is so important to who we are as people and who we right. are as a family. We want to pass it on. Right, And one of the things that we're seeing now is that um, women are, excuse me, girls, so like kids, female kids, Mm -hmm. people are now seeing that there's almost equal numbers of girls and boys that are interested in hunting and that go through these kind of initiation programs. But around college age and a little beyond, females disappear. Mm -hmm. And I think as a woman, and probably you can identify as someone who already has kids, there's a lot that happens at that stage of life that makes it really hard to pursue anything for yourself, um, let alone something that's as time intensive as hunting. That's true. So I think that's part of it. We don't have a full answer on where those women go or why from mm-hmm. the hunting community. Um, but if we can build this community, then we can have conversations about like um, what kind of breast pump is best to bring in the field right. or you know what I right. mean, just like stuff that nobody Was really had to navigate probably on a wide scale, but it could bridge that gap and bridge that barrier, and continue that participation and that funding
0: and all of those things that we need as a community. Yes, no, it's very very true, and yes, they make earmuffs teeny teeny tiny, (laughs) very very small. Um, But no, you know when we were when we were thinking about gifts for our kids. So my daughter is the oldest. And when we were thinking about gifts for the kids for their first birthdays, um, one of the things that we said was a lifetime sportsman's license for the state. Mm -hmm. And a lot of states have such a great program for that, for making it available at such a cheap price at that age that it is an investment that you should not step away from. And even though I wasn't hunting at the time, I knew that it would be something she would appreciate later. And Mm -hmm. I, I just think that people should look into that. I think that you should uh, be a part of that program for your kids and set them up for something great. But, um, but yeah, I, I would love to know where these girls are going in college. Um the high school college age that young adult age of uh where there's a lot of focus on and a lot of hard work on what they have to do at that point in time in order mm-hmm. to build a foundation for the rest of their life. So it is there's a lot going on at that age that they're having to work hard for. Uh, but yeah. I think that there should be groups. There should be people that walk alongside of them and say, hey, this is it's fall break or it's winter break. Or, you know, these are the times that you can take just a day or two and go out and. Right. Right. If uh, well. if you've got a supportive family, then it's going to help out, and if you've got a supportive group of friends, it's also going to shoot you forward into that. Totally,
1: and I think too, it's part of it is just normalizing it. Like I can, mm-hmm. I can remember when I was an undergrad, so many of the men in my program, or even you know, they weren't studying wildlife, but. They would, constantly, we would live in a dorm and they would be, you know, tramping down the hallway in their waiters to go <laughs> drive however far they had to drive. And I was with them on some occasions because I did have a couple of fr- friends that I made that I was able to go and do that with. But it's kind of that thing where at that point in my life, I was still very much a beginner. I didn't know like where you go if you want to hunt ducks and Mm -hmm. you don't have a boat. Like I don't know what you do, and so I was kind of at the mercy of them allowing me to come with or not. Um, And I think that that's part of it too. Like even the culture at that stage, there's a lot of barriers, and so you know the Artemis program is primarily right now made up of women that are 25ish to 40, Mm 45ish. That's kind of our demographic, but. I would love if we can grow that and make it, you know, infiltrate down into those younger age groups where a woman doesn't feel weird to be putting her, you know, extra money that she makes as a waitress or whatever else she's doing in college towards buying a gun or buying some right. decoys or, you know, whatever it is. Right. Um and so that she has other other folks she can go do that with or she doesn't feel like a lot of pressure
0: to be to make sure she continues to be included, like she just feels like she belongs, right and And I think that that mindset of I don't want to hold them back since I'm learning that right. That's something yep. I think we need to write out of our language. I think that mm-hmm. any hunter can look back and see where they started and appreciate somebody else starting. And uh, and i I think that the thought process is more on, The hunter than those they are hunting with. And I think we just need to write that out of our vocabulary. Um, I'm not going to hold you back. We are going to move forward together. So um, it's just something to think about and to hold fast to, because I probably still think that myself when I go on hunts that I'm not, um, that I don't know as much about. So it for is sure. it's just something to keep in mind. I do want to hear kind of some of the goals that are coming up in 2021 for Artemis cuz you you guys have some. Absolutely we do. They've uh, been reshaped a little bit by the coronavirus. <laughs> oh, I know it. Damn <laughs> But
1: yeah, but we're still we're still going to make it happen. So one of the big things um, that Artemis is predicated on is um, what we call ambassadors. So these are volunteers that apply; they submit an application, um, and then are selected um, to represent Artemis into kind of um, how oh, the word is escaping me, but kind of to to bring together that community mm-hmm. in the place where they live. Um, so we've got a number of them. I want to say there's like 48 maybe in the West. Mm-hmm. Um, and currently I have two, in the yeah. Southeast. um, another one in the wings who I think we're going to, um, we're going to have her in this new, this new year batch of ambassadors, but we are on the hunt for ambassadors. So if you're listening to this, we're looking for ambassadors for Tennessee, um, and across the Southeast if this sounds like something you'd be interested in, please reach out to me, Facebook, Instagram, email, all of that. I'm sure we yeah. can include that in the show notes. Um, but basically we need those ambassadors on the ground, especially during this time when I cannot travel and probably will not be able to travel until like late summer, I think. Oh, yeah. Um, cause, cause our organization is just kind of instituted a Coronavirus travel ban until that time, right? Um, so I can I can move around within Tennessee, and I fully intend to do that. But as far as going to other states, it's going to be tough. Um, so ambassadors hold four events a year, um, and it sounds kind of intimidating, but really, an event can be going turkey hunting with two other women, right? Right? <laughs> um, it's just really kind of that grassroots on the ground, fostering connections, um, and they also you know, speak about conservation issues, um, that Artemis is concerned with. And that's part of what I'm doing now in this upcoming year, um, is creating something specific to the Southeast. So a lot of the focus of Artemis to date has been on public lands and iconic species like mule deer and cutthroat trout.
0: And that's not really relevant to us here in the Southeast, right? You're talking to, um, smallmouth bass and we've got a little bit of trout but not a lot so you're talking about bass Mm -hmm. you're talking about crappie you're talking about white tail you're talking about squirrels like you're talking exactly east east coast hunting and fishing yeah that's exactly right so I'm trying to adapt a lot of
1: our um, materials for that Mm -hmm. Um, but I guess that's a long-winded way of saying that in January we are going to have It's basically a launch event for Artemis in the Southeast. It's going to be virtual, um, probably won't be much more than an hour. And we're going to have a storytelling series um, where we have sportswomen from across the Southeast talk about some of their experiences. um, And that's going to be our open call for ambassador applications. Okay. Um, We don't have a date set yet, um, but I'm thinking probably sometime in mid-January and it'll be publicized on all of our platforms um, prior to
0: that. Awesome. So that sounds great. (laughs) I think I'm excited for it. I think that there's, and it's, I hate that there's such a division between Western hunting and Eastern hunting. And I think that instead of saying there's a division between Western hunting and Eastern hunting, we need to say there are communities within our community that hunt, in different ways and absolutely that's um that's a it makes it more exciting because i do want to branch out i do want to hunt in the west i do want to hunt in the south um because even Mm -hmm. though tennessee's in the south louisiana hunting is and florida and texas hunting is completely different than where we are so it, right. it makes it more exciting. It makes it more inclusive, I feel like, to say that we all hunt different. We all are hunting for different species. We all ha- have our specific ways of doing it. They're a little bit different, but that means that we can spread our wings and learn from each other and become better hunters. Yeah, and I think it's,
1: it's also one way isn't better than another. It's right. every you know, hunting cultures are a product of first and foremost, the landscape and what's Mm -hmm. available. Mm -hmm. Um, and then also the history of people on that landscape and how they've interacted with wildlife over centuries. So, um, yeah, it's just, we need to, we need to be able to reach folks here in, um, I don't want to say language, but, you know, in, in things that are pertinent to them, things that matter to them, things they identify with. Um, you know, I, I love hearing about somebody's moose hunt as much as the next person in Alaska, yeah. but that's something I will probably never be able to do. Right. <laughs> so, um, I think it's important to represent our own community and members of that community here. Um, in the work that we do,
0: yeah, it's more about how we've had to adapt, and so that should be celebrated. How have you adapted to your surroundings? How are you creating a situation where you can hunt and provide and have community within that? That should be celebrated, not um, be jealous about or not hold over as one is better than the other. It's just celebrated that you're out there doing it ethically and Absolutely. honorably. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. hundred percent. And I th- I think another thing too about
1: the Artemis program is that if you become involved in Artemis in the Southeast, you have automatic connections in the West. Oh yeah. So if that is, if that is something that you want in your future, this could be a potential inroad um, for you. I know that for me, that that was something that I've always struggled with is finding other women hunters. And so many of our hunting opportunities had to come through my husband because he's the one with hunting buddies. And like, I don't know where to find them. (laughs) So now you can have, you know, an automatic community of, of hunting buddies. Mm -hmm.
0: It's true. Okay. Well tell everybody how they can find you and find Artemis. (sighs) So
1: we have a website,
0: um, Artemis, I believe it's Artemis at nwf.org.
1: Um, but if you Google Artemis NWF, it'll come up. Um, and that talks about our founders. We have, um, a list, a map of our ambassadors on there. So you can find an ambassador close to you Awesome, Um, and a bunch of other information and stuff that we're still putting together to try to launch this year, as far as, um, deer hunting videos, deer butchering videos, um, stuff like that. So there's a wealth of information there. We have a blog. Um, we also have a podcast, the Artemis podcast um, which is fun. It focuses exclusively on, um, sports women or, you know, women that are in the conservation yeah. conservation field. So have a listen to that. Um, I think there's new episodes every Thursday. Okay. And, um, we also have an Instagram account and a Facebook page. Um, and we're starting, um, state Facebook pages. Awesome. So there's going to be yeah, so there already is an Artemis Georgia page, which I encourage you to check out. Artemis Georgia has kind of already taken off. Okay, good. Um, and soon, as you know, as soon as I can identify one or two ambassadors in Tennessee, we will also have a. Artemis Tennessee page.
0: That sounds great. That sounds great. No, I'm 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 sitting here writing. If you guys hear me muffled, it's because my face is down and I'm writing down all of this information. (laughs) (laughs) It's important not just for me to be able to pass on to other people. I hope that people know that. That that's why I started this podcast was because I wanted to know more. And so Mm On every single conversation that I have, I'm writing notes down because it's like you said, it's a way that we relate to each other. It's a way that we grow from each other, but it's it's also a way that we encourage each other to push forward and to start trying things that could possibly make it easier, that could make mm-hmm. it more enjoyable. And so – um, Y'all, if y'all could just see my notebook, it's hilarious. I've got everything <laughs> written everywhere. It's just like my brain threw up on a page and I love it. Um, But Ashley, thank you amazing. so much for your time. I, oh, thank you for having me. I truly appreciate it. And guys follow Artemis find, just remember that they are supporting the retainment of hunters in our community. And that is something that we should be striving for. So. Go find uh, local ambassadors, go to the website, check in in January and see if this is something that you want to be a part of. And uh, and yeah, Ashley, thank you. Yeah, absolutely. And I would also say, just feel free to reach out to me. I'll, you
1: can post my email address. Okay. Like, just email me. If you have a question <laughs> about the program or you want to know how you get involved, Just just let me know. We'll do it. All right. Thank you. Thanks so much.